0: Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. I'm Rick Zamprin. Ontario's elementary teachers will start a work-to-rule campaign November 26, but the union says it will not affect students. Several more witnesses set to testify in the House impeachment hearings and President Donald Trump's push for Ukraine to investigate Democrats as the U.S. withheld military aid. And HSR drivers voting overwhelmingly against the city of Hamilton's latest contract offer. They've given their union a strike mandate.
1: Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML.
0: Uh, Leading off today's show, we're going to talk about, well, what I think a lot of parents are talking about, and that is their children's education. And a big part of of that, obviously, are the teachers. However, Ontario's elementary teachers are going to be starting a work-to-rule campaign on November 26th that they say will not affect students well, what does that mean well the elementary teachers federation of ontario says their action will target ministry and school board administrative tasks let's bring in our first guest to talk about this nor el is a professor at the telfer school of management at the university in ottawa and joins us now nor how are you today I'm doing well. Rick. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks for rearranging your schedule and joining us a little earlier than planned. We really appreciate this. No Let's talk about the work to rule campaign. We've heard this term before. What does it actually mean? What are teachers going to be doing and what are they not going to be doing?
2: Well, uh, in these type of situations, uh, um, it's just another uh, matter of um, putting the, the government under, uh, under more pressure. Uh, these are uh, steps that go along with uh, strikes or, or, or uh, before strikes. Uh, the teachers are trying to be uh, responsible or the unions are trying to be responsible uh, in such a way that uh, they will uh, make the government uh, think that uh, there would be more imminent uh, moves uh, so that they can uh, they can make uh, better and uh, and, and uh, better decisions that would affect uh, the, the teachers. While uh, while doing that, uh, they will uh, have uh, have that the order uh, thing to um, make um, some of the administrative stuff uh, adjust their uh, their works. Uh, the union doesn't want to. Uh, doesn't want uh, uh, students, especially those that needs special stu- uh, special uh, uh, need, those students with special needs, to be uh, to be affected. Uh, on the other hand, uh, they want to make sure also that uh, the parents are not paying a price for uh, for this. So this, all of these are moves that are coming by by the union in such a way that. Um, they are putting pressure without putting strains on uh, on the students and on uh, on the parents, but uh, but on the system as a whole, so that the government would would bend uh, a little bit.
0: We saw just a couple of weeks ago uh, one of the other unions uh, undertaking a work to rule campaign in which they were not doing uh, extra tasks or tasks that they have normally done but don't get paid to do. Uh, And I'm referring to the custodians and administrative staff. uh, And that work to rule campaign generated a uh, new collective bargaining agreement between uh, the province, the school boards, and that particular union. Um, are, are work-to-rule campaigns normally effective in averting strike action? Uh,
2: they are um, very effective because these are the things uh, in a country like Canada and a province like Ontario, when we talk about uh, our, uh, our education system, that uh, these are kind of the gold plates. These are the extras. These are the uh, uh the nice to have uh, uh, things in uh, in a in a school uh and uh, and as such we uh, we take them for granted and uh, they become part of uh of our system and we get used to them so uh when we start telling people that these are things that we are doing beyond our uh, duties that these are things that uh, we are doing uh, as as teachers it's part of our uh, social responsibility and uh, and uh, our commitment to our to our job and to our work uh, and we, people take those for for granted. Uh, then, while well, if we start to eliminate those, the parents will tr- start to put more pressure with the teachers. Uh, and with the, when a government sees that, okay, well, this is just go, this is going beyond. Uh, the teachers' union. Mean, it's uh, or the parents might uh, think, oh, my my son or my daughter is uh, losing this type of activity that uh, we thought it was uh, very important uh, to what they uh, what we do uh, when they go to school. Um, then uh, the, the government will feel more pressure, and hopefully uh, they will come uh, back to the bargaining table and uh, and try to have a collective agreement. Uh, that is a win-win for uh, for everybody. So when the teachers union uh, go to a roadblock um, before going to a strike, uh, having uh, other administrative staff or uh, or parents uh, join join them to support them. Uh, it might be an effective tool to um, uh, to think about a solution to, to the whole equation.
0: Our guest is Noor El Khadri, professor at the Telfer School of Management, University of Ottawa, here on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Rick in for Scott. So if the work-to-rule campaign does not end with a uh, new CBA for both sides, would the next step be a full-fledged teacher strike?
2: um th- that's that's a possibility usually those are the uh, the, uh, the last uh, set of tools you would use uh, in your uh, in your box before uh, before a strike and uh, that's what makes a, a government in most of the situations or an employer in uh, in general uh, come to terms uh, with uh, with the union and and bend a little bit in order to uh, to, f- to find a solution so when the teachers had their vote on a strike, so that's that's something in their toolbox that they have it now. But before they exercise it, there are probably other tools that they're using, and uh, work rule is one of them, and uh, that that could be uh, one of the last uh, things before a strike.
0: We have three of the four major teacher unions, including the elementary teachers, that are taking steps towards potential strikes. Is there power in numbers here? Is, is the province thinking, wow, I mean, if we knock down one, that'll make it easier. But when you have now three or four major unions coming to the table to say, we want this, this and that or else, um, it seems like the unions really have a lot of the power here. Or do they?
2: The unions would have a lot of power and uh, they have been responsible in postponing a, a strike when uh, when they have the, uh, the mandate from their membership uh, to go to go for a strike but when they go on a strike, it is not only that uh, the schools that uh, will be suffering. It would be other uh, other people in the labor force and other ministries. Just remember that those are elementary uh, students, and when they if they don't go to school, it means uh, they need somebody with them uh, at home, and it's their dad or mom who will not go to work, and uh, that would affect other ministries, other businesses. Uh, and another uh, places in the labour force, and the pressure would be more on um, uh, on, on the government as uh, as a whole, and it uh, would go beyond uh, the schools and uh, and the unions. The numbers would have repercussions on. Uh, on other people in the labor force,
0: last question for you. class sizes are an issue, but so is this one percent cap on wage increases. Can the government stick to this number with teachers? because if they don't, I would assume that number one, they're gonna have egg on their face, but that's going to open the door to bigger raises for other uh, you know entities in this province.
2: Well, it's. Uh, I mean, a caps of one percent are um, um, are not acceptable. Um, I mean, we live in an economy where the inflation is a little higher. I mean, uh, the least that they should have is uh, something uh, commensurate with the inflation rate. And if you've got inflation above two percent, uh, and given one percent increase for teachers, you're telling them that this is a this is a cut in your salary, not an increase. Uh it is absolutely important to have uh, increases that are at least commensurate with inflation rate or a little bit above that uh, so that uh, it becomes an acceptable thing, uh, especially in these uh, tough economic times.
0: Nort, really appreciate the time. Thanks for the time today and enjoy the rest of the day. Noor El Khadri is professor at the Telfer School of Management, University of Ottawa. When we come back, we'll dive into this uh, topic a little bit more. We're soon going to uh, be joined by the local president of the ETFO, Jeff Sorensen. We'll talk about what this means on a local level here on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML.
1: You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: But continuing our discussion about Ontario's elementary teachers starting a work-to-rule campaign in just a couple of weeks. November 26th is going to come, is going to be here before you know it. The union, however, the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario, says this is not going to affect students. They're going to target ministry and school board administrative tasks. So in about uh, 10 minutes' time, we're going to chat with the local president of the ETFO, Jeff Sorensen. He's going to hop on board to talk about... Uh, the union's concerns, what they're trying to do. And uh, well, I'll certainly ask them how this is not going to affect students, because I would think that administrative tasks up into a point would not affect students, but certainly students have to be affected at least a wee bit. So I'm throwing open the phones here at 905-645-3221, on your cell. You can even send me an email, rick at 900chml.com. Teachers unions still serve a purpose. I mean, teachers are paid well. I mean, they're not gazillionaires. They get a couple of months off in the summer. I know if there's teachers listening now, they're probably rolling their their eyes. Hey, we're still going to workshops and the like. But they get vacations around Christmas and New Year's, you know, March break off. They get those PD days, and again, I know they're doing things. But it seems like a pretty cushy job. I'd never want to be a teacher, and I probably could never be a teacher because two kids for me is enough. (laughs) So God bless them. What do you think? 905 645 3221 star 9900 on your cell regarding teachers' union. Still effective? Still needed? Harold has called into the program. Hey, Harold, how are you? Great, thanks. And you? I'm not too bad. Good. I was just uh, thinking, you know, I think
3: this is the first time the provincial government will have the upper hand, because I don't think the teachers have ever had the chance to walk in the snow and the sleet and the rain and the cold weather and see how long it'll last, because I believe if they do and they go on strike for a week, they should take the money they save and put it across the Ontario province and make sure that all the the food and the food banks and the shelters are given all the food and the, whatever they need. And if they're on strike for another week, take the money they save in their salaries and make sure that the homeless have all the clothes and all the facilities they need for the winter. And that way there we'll see how long Sam Hammond stays on strike when he's in the cold.
0: Well, it's a good thought, but you and I both know that's not going to happen, right? And, and if anybody is going on strike, they're not saving that money and then giving it to charitable organizations, right? You're looking out I for yourself. I know that,
3: but it's a darn good way to do things, wouldn't it be?
0: Oh, it'd be fantastic. But I think uh, we're not on the sky. That, and we'd
3: see how long that uh, they would stay on strike, which I I don't think will be long.
0: Well, uh, we'll see what happens, Harold. I appreciate the call. Thank you. I don't know. I I, I think that's a perfect world. I don't think teachers or anybody, any any business, if you're in a union or what, and you're going on strike, you're thinking, you know what, all this money that I'm saving, I'm not sure how you're saving money because you're not getting paid your regular salary. But I'm going to give it to charity. I mean, yeah, the thought's amazing. And we should be giving to charity all the time. But That's not how the world works. Tyler is calling into the program. Hey, Tyler. Hello. How are you? Not bad, yourself? I'm okay.
4: Um... So, talking about this whole thing, um, I've got a. I'm not in the teaching position by any means. I'm a mechanic, but I have a friend in uh, uh, the teaching program. She's a English school Catholic teacher, I guess. Okay. Um, and she was saying that, uh, you know, her school, where like out where I am in Simcoe, um, they're allowed to, you know, basically. She's just going. This is going to affect us, right? Because you're uh, you're taking you're taking a provincial is it provincial? The uh, yeah, yep. yeah. So you're taking a provincial, widespread reach of this. So she was probably one of the two or three percent that said no, we don't need to strike. But you know that's her findings, right?
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Is hey. it going to affect students? Absolutely. Um, but in her case, the only reason it's going to affect students is because they're now implementing those things that, you know, she now can't control and things like that. So for her to be on, for somebody to be on strike, which isn't, it's not, it's not implica- uh, impacting her school whatsoever. But all the schools across Ontario, or all the Catholic schools anyways, um, the English Catholic schools, they're the ones being uh, told that they have to, you know, if, you, if we're going to go on strike, you got to stop. And she's just going. Well, my school doesn't have a problem. <laughs> <Right? So laughs> what do you do with that? And that, like, like I said, I'm just a friend of a teacher, but I hear about it every day.
0: Right. Well, I if follow,
4: I follow the news, uh, probably more than they do.
0: Yeah. So right. if she's part of a union, whatever the union is, that uh, declares a work to rule campaign or a strike, she would ultimately yeah. have to follow that directive, right?
4: Exactly. And I didn't hear your last caller. I was I was waiting on hold, but. Um, from what I got from the last bit of it, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they're basically saying that not everybody is, you know, not the entire, the entire, uh, school board is not con- uh, having this issue. It's just certain places.
0: Well, not every school board has, uh, this particular, um, um, I guess, work-to-rule campaign, unless you're right. with, in this case, the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario. Tyler, I appreciate the call. Uh, some good questions. Um, but, yeah, if you're if you're with the ETFO or if you're with OECTA, uh, the Elementary Catholic Teachers uh, Association, um, you know, they've, they have certain parameters in place. All right, this is what we're doing at this particular time, and uh, you'll have to follow suit. This is the direction. I mean, th- this is the mandate that members of this union, many of whom are teachers— have, uh, you know, given their uh, leadership teams basically to say, all right, yeah, we're we're going to move forward in lockstep with what is being proposed. And at this point for the ETFO, uh, they're launching a work-to-rule campaign on November 26th. Well, How is that going to affect students and will it affect students? So let's bring in our next guest. He's the local president of the ETFO. And his name is Jeff Sorensen, and he joins us now. Jeff, how are you? Good. How are you today? Not too bad. So I guess maybe the main question that a lot of people are having, well, they probably have a lot of questions. But one of them is, you know, are students not going to be affected? Because that's one of the you know, main messages behind this, uh, I guess, threat, for lack of a better term, for this work-to-rule campaign on November 26th. The union says, the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario, saying that it's not going to affect students. At At some point, students would be affected, though, wouldn't they?
6: Um, well, not in this phase, and we're hoping that this phase is sufficient to get the Ministry of Education and Doug Ford back to the table. Okay, so let's so we talk have about no the interest in escalating the strike. Um, we're hoping, and we hoped up to this point, that a reasonable negotiated contract settlement
3: was possible.
0: So let's talk about this phase. What, what is happening in phase one with this work to rule campaign? Mm-hmm. because it's targeting ministry and school board administrative tasks, right?
6: That's correct. Um, So it's uh, things like Ministry of Education initiatives. It is uh, after school uh, professional development, which is something that's voluntary for teachers. So a lot of our training happens on our time, which is unpaid, Uh, that's gonna stop. So it really is uh, things that happen behind uh, closed doors that perhaps most people don't know goes on anyways. Teaching is still going to be happening. Learning is still going to be happening. And I just want to give you a very specific example uh, that's uh, very important at Hamilton. Uh, we're all aware of the tragedy that happened at Sir Winston Churchill. As a result of that, our board has determined that the February, sorry, the November 29th PA day will all be about student safety. Now, in every other board across Ontario, uh, PD activities are going to be struck. Uh, in Hamilton, we got a settlement. Uh, and with our provincial organization that allows our teachers to attend that PD because we feel it's so important. We want to keep kids safe. Uh, we want to keep teachers safe. We want school to be a safe and happy place, and we don't want the strike to get in the way of that. So we have decided that in Hamilton, we're going to get the professional development. We want to learn. We want to help kids, and we want to keep them safe.
0: Well, I applaud you guys for doing that because it is, a, um, as we all know, a very important Um, topic to be learning and growing and getting better at, and certainly there are some improvements to be had. Um, So this phase one of the work-to-rule would not affect any after-school clubs or athletics or anything like that?
6: Correct. Uh, Nothing about school trips, nothing about extracurricular activities, Um, students' experiences from the moment they get to school in the morning to the day or the moment they go home at night. Uh, I, I really don't think there will be any... Uh, change. Uh, whether your child is five years old or 13 years old, uh, for them, uh, school will still be schooled. Uh, they'll be greeted at the door by their teachers, and uh, their teachers will do what they do every day, which is do their best to uh, help students grow and learn.
0: Our guest is Jeff Sorensen. He's the local president of the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario here in Hamilton, joining us on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Rick in for Scott today. Uh, if this Um, work-to-rule campaign doesn't generate uh, a renewed sense of urgency on all sides to get a deal done and things continue to drag on, is the next step an escalated work-to-rule campaign or a full-fledged strike? And when I say escalated work-to-rule, now I'm talking about those athletics, the trips, the after-school stuff.
6: You know what? I I really can't speak to that. Uh, I'm not uh, at the provincial bargaining table. Uh, We really don't want to Uh, think about those things we're really hoping as we've hoped for a long time that uh, Doug Ford's conservative government uh, wants to have a reasonable discussion at a table we're not asking for the stars and the moon we're asking for uh, funding that was there to help kids funding to uh, keep uh, special needs going uh, funding to keep class sizes down Uh, We're not asking for uh, unreasonable things, uh, and and we're hoping that the ministry sees the light and and wants to come back and have a negotiated settlement so we can get back to teaching uh, in the way that we think is best. Uh,
0: The provincial government uh, recently came out with a 1% uh, wage cap on increases. How big of a wrench has this thrown in the process?
6: Well, I'll be honest, uh, it's been more than a decade since uh, a teacher in Ontario has received a raise that will keep up with inflation. So for the last 10 years, we've been losing ground in terms of, of that. A 1% uh, increase per year, besides being extremely unconstitutional uh, in the same way that Dalton McGinty's Bill 115 was unconstitutional, it violates our collective agreement acts. It, it uh, violates everything that we hold dear, which is the rule of the law. Uh, we're hoping that they take repeal of the legislation and, and come back uh, for a meaningful raise that at the very least, I hope would, would not cause teachers. And, and by the way, this isn't just about teachers. This is about early child care workers and occasional teachers. And they make a lot less than teachers. Um, you know, that's, it's, precarious work. It is not uh, work that you can uh, live a reasonable middle-class lifestyle on. So it isn't just teachers at the top of the grid who have 25 years experience, and that's what everyone thinks you know, we all make. Um, there are lots of education workers there who, who are you know, visiting uh, food uh, uh, kitchens and, and, and trying to, to get uh, through the day. So uh, it's a myth that, that we're all well-to-do. Uh, certainly, we're not. Uh, many of teachers are not hurting financially, uh, but we have mortgages like everybody else. Uh, we're not sunning in uh, Caribbean for nine weeks over the summer. Uh, you know, that's that's an unfair assumption of what our lives are like.
0: Is it, this is a horrible analogy? But is that one percent cap, uh, you know, a hill that the union is willing to die on in terms of whether it strikes or not?
6: Again, uh, being the local president, uh, I'm not at the bargaining table. I could not speak to what the provincial strategy is. Um, So I'm afraid I can't speak to that.
0: Safe to say that's one of the biggest issues, though, right? No, really, I would say it's working conditions. If you ask our members what's important
6: to them, it's class sizes, it's funding for special needs students, uh, it's adequate resourcing for full-day kindergarten. It's making sure that that kindergarten model, which is world-renowned, is maintained. Um, really, at this point in time, if our teachers were given good working conditions, which translates directly to good learning conditions, uh, I, I think teachers would, would be happy, uh, at least locally. That's what our members call us about. It's their working conditions.
0: Jeff, I would assume that you're a teacher in the classroom yourself.
6: Yeah, I taught for 15 years before I came to this job.
0: How big of an impact is having one, two, three more kids in a classroom?
6: It's huge, especially when you consider that so many more students these days are coming with learning challenges. Um, you know, I, and many of us, you know, I, I went to school in the 70s and I remember large class sizes, but I also recall that there weren't the needs back then. Uh, So, you know, the difference between 23, 24, 25, and by the way, in grades four to eight, there is no hard class cap. There's an average. So across our system, we have to have an average of 24.5, but we know of many grade four to eight classes that are above 30. And if you're talking about 30 students and, you know, a quarter or a third of them have uh, learning challenges, learning needs, uh, that becomes extremely problematic. And then if you throw on top of that, the three or four students that might have behavior challenges, uh, you know, there's a lot of violence in schools these days. And it really makes it tough to teach. It makes it tough to learn.
0: Are there more kids with learning challenges in school today because, well, they have uh, greater uh, access to special needs educators, whereas maybe in the past they would have been either homeschooled or those challenges would not have been identified?
6: I, I, I wouldn't presume to know why. Uh, There seems to be so much more need these days uh, for learning and so much more violence in schools today. Um, There might be societal factors, there might be pedagogical factors. Uh, I I wouldn't presume to have the answer to why uh, it's so much more demanding, but we know that teachers, you know, we're not school nurses, we're not school social workers, we're not school psychologists, uh, we're educators. And and that's what we do. That's what we've been trained in. Uh, So, you know, we need resourcing. And it isn't just resourcing for us. It's let's get those groups of people back into the school system. Let's have guidance counselors. Let's have um, social workers in the school. Uh, We need them.
0: Uh, I don't remember the uh, acronym of the union um, just a couple of weeks ago that launched a work-to-rule campaign and now has a new deal. But it dealt with, uh, you know, custodian staff, administ- some administrative staff. Uh, they launched right. a work-to-rule campaign, got a deal uh, done. Do you see this being an effective negotiating tool, or are you not as optimistic as uh, some people might be?
6: Yeah, so that labor group was QP. Um, That's right. And I, I, I congratulate them on their their, uh, their ability to have uh, an agreement with the ministry. Um, I wasn't, none of us were at that table. I'm not sure exactly what was discussed. I know for some reason the ministry has demanded that our local, our union, I uh, should say, uh, is demanding uh, that we save $150 million uh, over any other savings of any other group. So I don't know why we're being... Um, targeted that way. I don't know why we're asked to save 150 million dollars, especially in I'm not sure if people know this, but in our last agreement, the Hamilton Wentworth teachers negotiated 3.4 million dollars for local priority funding, and that money went straight to hiring people to help with their highest needs children. That was money that we diverted from our benefits, that's money we diverted from our salaries. That's money that we gave to the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board to say, this money we've negotiated in order to help the kids of Hamilton Wentworth. Hey, Jeff, you we got to. I was just right. going
0: to say, we got to run here. I really appreciate the time, but we are plumb out of it. Uh, good luck with the negotiations, and hopefully, uh, everything uh, works itself out.
1: And hopefully, next time I talk to you, we have a deal.
0: <laughs> See you, Jeff.
1: You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Several more witnesses set to testify in the House impeachment hearings are expected to say, this is what we're being told, that they too were worried about President Donald Trump's push for Ukraine to investigate Democrats as the U.S. withheld military aid. Tomorrow, lawmakers are going to hear from the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, who was ousted in May at Trump's direction. Of the eight witnesses to testify next week is a National Security Council official who said he raised concerns in the White House about Trump's push for, quote-unquote, investigations. An official familiar with the matter said that uh, one person overheard another, (laughs) it's like second-hand info, saying that Trump was discussing uh, Ukraine conducting, again, investigations. So what is going on down south? What is happening in Washington, D.C.? Let's bring in Brian J. Karam, executive editor, Sentinel newspapers, White House reporter for Playboy, and political analyst at CNN. And he joins us now. Brian, how are you? Pretty good. Oh, I think I just dumped Brian. He said he was good. I didn't like his answer, apparently. And I hung up on him. <laughs> the old double punching of the button. Uh, Brian's a great guest. And I'll tell you why, because the first time we had him on eh, probably a few months ago, uh, he blew me away with his knowledge of what was happening in the White House. And uh, I think he was one of the people who was targeted or at least attacked by Trump during uh, one of the scrums uh, over the summer. I think it was over the summer. And uh, Trump pointed to him and uh, scolded him. And, uh, well, we had a good time on the air uh, with Brian on that topic. Day one of the impeachment proceedings or hearings happened yesterday. The top American diplomat in Ukraine revealed new evidence that President Trump was overheard asking about political investigations. We got Brian back on the line. Brian, sorry, I hit the button twice. Ah, that'll do it. Uh, It does it every time. But uh, glad we had you on, uh, or we have you on uh, right now to talk about this uh, impeachment hearing, or hearings that are happening in Washington, D.C. What did you see yesterday, and was any of it alarming?
7: Well, um, (laughs) it's alarming, but it doesn't mean the needle's going to move towards impeachment. I mean, he's going to get impeached by the House. He will be exonerated. If this is the best the uh, Democrats can do, he'll be exonerated in the Senate. And then he'll stand for reelection. It's um, it's alarming on many levels, but you have to remember this is Donald Trump we're talking about, and he's slippery and he's avoided the news most of his life, and he will continue probably to do so.
0: Are Americans, at least on average, kind of just rolling their eyes, thinking uh, you know they're you know, here's the Democrats just trying to get to Trump? Trump is doing his own thing, uh, saying you know that it's a witch hunt, it's a hoax. Uh-huh. Are, are they saying? Are they thinking this is just a big circus act? No, well, yeah, part
7: of it is a circus act, but it's it's Trump's circus act, and he called the act. I mean, you know, there have been criticisms that, hey, these are second-hand, third-hand sources, but remember, Donald Trump won't let any of the people who know firsthand, who won't let any of them testify. So on the one hand, you get criticized uh, for having 2nd and third-hand sources testify, but on the other hand, you can't pull the first-hand sources out to testify because the president won't let them. So he's trying to de- guide this circus, uh, so he's exonerated and, or at least, you know, he doesn't get voted out by the Senate. And it's all political. They try to paint it as a criminal, uh, uh conspiracy, That this is all political. And the truth of the matter is, is Donald Trump, as you heard yesterday, if you listened, uh, He had two forms of diplomacy going in Ukraine. One was the formal and one was an informal. And the informal one was, uh, you know, holding a carrot and stick in front of uh, Ukraine saying, if you want any help from us, we need a favor. It's like a bad mob boss. Um, (laughs) So that's without a doubt what was going on.
0: Some people are suggesting that happens all the time anyway.
7: Yeah, well... some people also suggest that the sun rises in the west, and the earth is flat. I wouldn't listen to those people.
0: <laughs> How does this play out during his re-election campaign?
7: Uh, it depends. I mean, I've often said that the only thing worse than a Republican is a Democrat, and the Democrats will uh, gladly snatch a defeat out of the jaws of victory. So uh, if they can screw it up, they will but it depends on how many times Donald Trump continues to shoot himself in the foot and whether or not he actually hits a more vital area. And I think that his fear is that he has hit that vital area in this case, and that's one of the reasons why he's been rather low-keyed in his response in the last few days, he's trying to ride it out so it doesn't uh, get worse than it is.
0: It doesn't seem like he's shying away from the issue in his re-election campaign. I just saw a commercial yesterday basically saying, hey, you know, the Democrats are focused on these hoax of impeachment proceedings. We're focused on making America great again and, and continuing to improve the economy. So it doesn't seem like he's shying away from it.
7: Well, he he has shied away from it when asked by reporters. He's not shying away from his rhetoric when he's uh, advertising, but when he shows up in front of reporters recently, like yesterday, he had on the first day of the hearings, he had a a news conference with uh, with his counterpart in Turkey. So it kind of that that alone was kind of off putting, considering it was Erdogan, but. Uh, Secondly, he only called on two reporters. Both of them were from friendly outlets, and neither one of them asked the tough questions that have to be asked, and he was quite flaccid in his response to the questions that were asked. I think he's trying to steer clear of it uh, in public and hit the juice button uh, on his paid announcement.
0: (laughs) Do you expect any explosive moments either tomorrow or sometime next week from these hearings?
7: Well, I think if the Democrats want to move the needle towards impeachment or at least uh, conviction, uh, if they want to move that needle, then they're going to have to come up with something explosive, whether it's John Bolton speaking in tongues or uh, they pull Mike Pence out and he convinced his people, you know, of his love for, you know, Satan. I don't know. They're going to have to have something.
0: <laughs> now, that'd be something.
7: <laughs> yeah, that was. It. But with this administration, you wouldn't be surprised if you never know. Uh, nothing would surprise me at this point, but uh, the Democrats are going to have to draw a little blood if they're trying to. If they're trying to move the popular opinion poll towards 60 percent or more in favor of impeachment, which puts the um, Republicans in the Senate in a bit of a pickle. Right now, they're sitting on a horns of a dilemma. If they vote for President Trump and against impeachment. They risk losing a general election if they vote for impeachment and against Donald Trump. They risk being primaried in their elections, and no one likes him. I mean, I don't know anyone privately who will tell you that they like this guy, but they're going to stick with him for their own self-interest. So for them to move, the Democrats have got to move the needle so Mitch McConnell can walk into the president's office and say, look, I I took the count, and you're doomed. And there's under two scenarios where that will take place. If they move the trial into the Senate and they vote to take a private, you know, poll instead of a public poll on the president, then he may be doomed uh, no matter what. If it's a private ballot instead of a public ballot, Trump may be gone because there's nobody who really likes him, but nobody, there are very few who are going to stand up publicly and say it.
0: Well, I'm sure there's more fireworks to come. Brian, appreciate the time today.
1: Sure, anytime. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: The drivers for HSR, Hamilton Street Railway, local bus drivers, they have voted uh, overwhelmingly 98% against the city's latest contract offer. Uh, Eric Tuck is the president of the Amalgamated Transit Union Local 107, and he joins us now on the Scott Thompson Show. Eric, glad to have you along today.
5: Oh, glad to be here, Rick. Thank you for having
0: me. 98% is that surprisingly high, or were were you expected that result to end up?
5: Actually, I was kind of surprised. Uh, We've hired a lot of new operators uh, who've never belonged to a union didn't uh, maybe understand the process. So I was actually shocked that we got as high as we did.
0: So that obviously sends a message to, uh, you know, you guys at the top level of Amalgamated Transit Union Local 101 to say, hey, you know, the drivers are taking this uh, very seriously and they they want some action.
5: Yes, absolutely. And uh, I hope the message uh, gets through to the city council and to the uh, bargaining team on the other side of the table.
0: How do you think this is going to impact negotiations uh, come the next time you're at the table?
5: Well, you know, uh, I would hope that they would take the uh, matters a little more serious, especially when we're talking about the working conditions uh, and the health and safety issues that we've raised there.
0: So why aren't they taking it seriously? What, what's the hang-up?
5: Well, you know, quite frankly, I think they, uh, they see, uh, especially uh, the, the major issue, which is access to washrooms and time to use the washrooms, uh, they see that as a money issue. And uh, we've said many, many times that, uh, yes, there is a cost associated with uh, providing those washrooms and uh, there may even be a little cost with uh, associated with developing schedules that allow time to go to the seat and use those washrooms. But the reality is uh, these are natural costs that you have to have for any employee. Uh, When you hire human beings to do a job, you have to provide them with the human necessities uh, of bathrooms, and you have to provide them with the time to actually use those facilities.
0: Now, 98% of the members with ATU Local 107 not only voted against the city's latest contract offer, but this also authorizes a strike mandate.
5: Yes, uh, because the employer turned in a final offer, uh, we had no choice but to ask for a full mandate.
0: So what are the next steps?
5: Well, uh, you know, we're going to allow a little time for the uh, bargaining team on the city side to go back to council and uh, to their stakeholders and, and try and get a mandate uh, to come back to the table and try and address uh, not only these issues, but also some of the uh, benefits uh, cuts that they've been asking for uh, and the wages that we, uh, we've asked to be addressed.
0: And how long are your members willing to wait for that, uh, I guess, uh, fine-tuned deal or, or altered deal from the city?
5: Well, you know, uh, I'm going to allow a week to 10 days uh, for that for that to happen. And uh, if, if we hear nothing, obviously, we will have to proceed with the no-board report to the uh, conciliator uh, through the ministry. And at that point, there's a 17-day cooling-off period, as you're likely aware. Uh, and from there we uh, we'll have to do what we have to do uh,
0: these uh, the issues are certainly different from what you know teachers are going after in their contract negotiations with the province and school boards but uh, some of the similarities are uh, you know strike mandates uh, no board reports we're hearing all these similar kind of terms in terms of a strike versus a work to rule campaign is that also a tool in your, your negotiating belt that you can work to rule somehow uh, at the HSR
5: well, certainly, you know, uh, as a labor organization, you have all of those things at your at your uh, disposal. and And in our uh, strike mandate, it wasn't just a strike mandate. it was to authorize the union to take job action up to and including a strike. Uh, certainly, you uh, as a labor leader, the last thing you want to do is start talking strike. Uh, I certainly don't want to have to go through another one. I've been through many in my days, um, and quite frankly, uh, I don't think it serves, uh, serves any, either side, uh, any purpose. The fact of the matter is, uh, we've worked very hard, certainly as a, a union, we've been working very hard to increase our ridership, uh, and to get people back on the buses. And the last thing you want to do is have any kind of a disruption in that service. Uh,
0: Cause there's a major impact if there is a strike. I mean, a major impact.
5: Yes, absolutely. And, uh, As I said, you know, that would be an absolute last resort, and it's not somewhere we wanted to go. Uh, In fact, we've been very tolerant in this round of bargaining. Uh, We didn't even get to the table until four months after the uh, contract had expired, Um, and that's because of the four-year election cycle, uh, which we've tried, you know, for three rounds of bargaining now to get off that four-year cycle, and we're determined to get off it this time around, uh, you know, so that City Council can be held accountable uh at the uh at the election time um every every four years we end up in the same cycle and we get the same thing when we ask to start bargaining six months before the contract expires uh we get the same answer i'm sorry we have no mandate Uh, council's going into election mode and we have to wait you know four months five months past the expiry of our collective agreement which isn't right
0: we're speaking with Eric Tuck. He's the president of Amalgamated Transit Union Local 107 here on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Rick, in for Scott. Uh, the last time there was a transit driver strike was back in 1998. That's a long time ago. Um, does that necessarily mean things have been great for drivers over the last 20 odd years?
5: No, I think what it means is that both sides were committed to getting a deal done, and that's what it takes in any round of bargaining. Uh, if you've got two willing partners that are going to work hard to actually meet in the middle, uh, you can usually get a deal done. And we've successfully, I've been in, this is my fifth round of bargaining. Uh, we've been able to do that the last four rounds that I've been involved in, um, since 1998. Uh, and, uh, there's no reason it can't be done now.
0: We had uh, Mayor Fred Eisenberger on uh, the Bill Kelly show this morning for his uh, monthly town hall meeting uh, on Bill's show. And he said that, you know, the strike vote and and this uh, whole voting process is part of the, uh, you know, uh, the the bargaining process and is a, a tactic that the union can employ. But he's confident that a deal can be reached. Where's your confidence level at?
5: Well, I'll tell you, it started out high, um, but uh, every time we we go back to the table, it kind of diminishes a little bit because I see no movement, Uh, at least not no substantial movement on the important issues that we feel. Uh, Even the non-monetary items, such as, you know, they're they're looking at time to use a bathroom as a monetary item, I'm saying there's two ways you can address time on a schedule. One is you can add service to keep the same frequency and give added time at the ends of the line, so that the driver can have a little decompression break and go and use the bathroom or have something to eat. Um, uh, and the the other way that you can address that issue is simply by changing the frequency. Uh, and if you know if the money isn't there to to do it. It's not every route, every uh, every trip, uh, for the most part. I would say it's about 30% of the trips, and more free, more so on the weekend that the problems are arising, um, and they could be addressed simply by changing the frequency of the service on those particular runs.
0: What's the morale like among the ranks, and you know, are are they worried that they could potentially be in a strike position in you know just a little over two weeks?
5: Yes, definitely. Uh, the morale is uh, is low right now. Uh, we worked very hard to try and get morale back up, but over the last, I would say, you know, six months or so during this bargaining uh, period, uh, it has dropped substantially. Uh, a lot of new uh, operators, obviously, have started work there in the last two to three years, who uh, have gone out and purchased homes and and uh, automobiles and whatnot, uh, and certainly they're worried. So they should be. Um, it's not a pleasant thing to go through. Uh, I was here in '98 when we were out for 10 weeks over Christmas. I had two small children at home, uh, a mortgage to pay, and a car to pay for, and uh, it was difficult to get through. But you do get through it. Uh, and as uh, you know, as somebody who understands the labor movement, there's times when you have to take a stand on certain issues, and when you start asking for concessions on uh, on benefits, or when you uh, fail to address important work. Uh, related issues that cause safety or cause health concerns um, you know you have to take stands on those things uh, when it really affects your health and these young people that are starting out today as somebody who's been driving for 30 years I understand that because I'm, I'm experiencing all the negative health effects of prolonged sitting of holding your bladder of not going to the washroom when you're supposed to uh, they have serious health implications as you get older And I'm experiencing that now, and I don't want to uh, allow that to continue for the next generation of transit uh, professionals.
0: If or when there is a labor disruption, um, obviously, you know, riders are going to point blame not only at the drivers and the union, but as, you know, the city negotiators as well. They're just going to say, hey, my service is not here. I need to get to work, do my thing, whatever the case is. What's your message to the riders?
5: Uh, My message to to the riders is, look, we're going to do everything we can absolutely not to have any disruptions in the service. Uh, That is the absolute last thing that we want. Uh, It's not good for us, and it's certainly not good for our passengers. We really do care about our passengers. You know, when you spend uh, 32 years behind the wheel, uh, sorry, 31 years behind the wheel like I have, Uh, You get to know your passengers quite regularly, and you build quite a relationship up with those people. And, uh, you know, it's an honor to be able to serve them every day, and and we enjoy what we do. So the last thing we want to do is is drive them away from our system. Um, But again, there's times when you have to take a stand on certain issues, and uh, hopefully we don't have to go there, and we're going to do everything we can to avoid it. But having said that, um, you know, it takes two to dance. (laughs) Eric,
0: thanks for the time today. Good luck with the negotiations.
5: Absolutely. Thank you, Rick. It's a pleasure being on here.
0: Eric Tuck, uh, President ATU Local 107. As uh, you heard, HSR drivers voting 98% against uh, the city's latest contract offer. They've also given their union a strike mandate. So we will keep tabs certainly, on this story and we'll bring you the latest, greatest on that front uh, when it comes down the line.